Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We're going to wrap it up today. The title of the series we've been in is According to Jim. How many of you have ever watched According to Jim on TV? All right. See, I fit the bill. It's about a middle-aged, balding, overweight white guy that has a hot wife and a goofy brother-in-law. And so that's me right there. And so I didn't have to dress up special. I already look like him. And so we've just been in this. And in reality, I'm still. it cracks me up. I got three Facebook messages this week saying, who is Jim? Jim is James. And so we've been going through the book of James chapter by chapter. And you just happened to get here on the last day, and we are in chapter 5. And basically what I've been saying is that Jim is one of the most practical books in the entire Bible. It is also one of those books that is the most ignored. We do not live out what James instructs us to do. So we've been going chapter by chapter. I wished I had time. I don't. I could take you back and take you lesson by lesson, chapter by chapter. You can find that online if you want on my Facebook or on our website. And so we're going to go into James chapter 5 today and learn some valuable lessons that I hope you can tap into. So if you will join me in Jim chapter 5 verse 1 it says now listen you rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you I need to stop you right there and say most of you just checked out because it said you rich people and you don't consider yourself rich and you're going well he's not talking about me if you don't think you're rich then let me just declare to you you've never been outside of the United States because the reality is is whether you recognize it or not whether you're wondering if you're going to pay your bills this month or not the truth of the matter is is that you are wealthy compared to everybody else and if you don't know that you need to go somewhere and find out like go overseas on a mission trip and discover that you are blessed beyond measure and so Jim begins to address us and he says you rich rich people weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes your gold and silver are corroded their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire you have hoarded wealth in the last days I need to tell you right there that we are in the last days you have hoarded wealth in the last days look the wages you failed to pay the workmen you who mowed your fields are crying out against you the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty you have lied on lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter you have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you so let me read it to you out of the message Bible because I, th- I like the way he says it. he says you thought you were piling up wealth what you've piled up is judgment all, worker, all the workers you've exploited and cheated cry out for judgment. The groans of the workers you've used and abused are a roar in the ears of the master avenger. You've looted the earth and lived it up. But all you'll have to show for it is a fatter than usual corpse. Kind of like that last statement. That's interesting. So here's the lesson that Jim is teaching us. According to Jim, the one with the most toys doesn't always win. See, we've been taught as Americans that the one with the most toys, if you've got all the latest gadgets, if you've got the nicest car, if you've got the nicest boat, if you've got the nicest house, then you must be winning and you are successful and you are on top. But Jim declares that just because you have the most toys, that doesn't mean you're always the one that's going to win. The people in Jim's day must have been a lot like us because the Bible, he teaches us that what they're doing is they're flaunting their wealth. They are going around strutting and bragging and showing off the wealth. They did it because they showed how much grain they had, how much clothing they had, and how much jewels they had. Now, 
Let me just declare it to you the way that the Lord said it to me is that they were flaunting their harvest or they were flaunting their blessings. You will remember from last week, those of you were, that were here, that Jim very specifically says that God will not continue to bless us if we are about using his blessing up on us. He will never bless selfish people. When we ask God, give me this, give me that, he will say no according to Jim chapter 4 because he sees us and declares that you're selfish and you just want to use it up on yourself. So Jim comes back and says, you're flaunting all this wealth and you're flaunting all these blessings and now there's going to be a price to pay. See, let me just tell you that this pursuit for houses and cars and clothes and gadgets can I just tell you what Jim says? He says, they will all rot. That house that you've given your soul for will rot and decay. That car that you've sacrificed time with your children to make the payments for, one day it will rust out. One of these days, everything, all these temporary things that we give our lives to, somebody somewhere is going to buy what you just had to have. They're going to come and get it out of your garage sale or an estate sale, or it's going to be the subject of that American Picker show where they come and pick all the old antiques and the old junk and they buy it because you're not going to have it because you can't live long enough because what you want and what you give your life to you will not outlive those things those things will outlive you and it won't matter anymore and so Jim is very specifically teaching us this morning that we've got to understand that the temporary things are not as important as the eternal things Jim is let me let me feel you Jim is not against wealth he's against wealth controlling us that's what he's speaking to. He, he's saying that we give money and things too much power. Money and houses and cars become our God if they consume your thoughts. Because some of you are sitting here thinking right now, i got to do this to my house when I get home. Some of you are thinking, how am I going to put gas in my car? And all you're thinking about your car and it's consumed you. The thing that consumed your mind, the thing that consumed your heart, the thing that consumed your time, i got news for you. That thing has become God. And so what Jim is doing is he's confronting us and saying, who owns your soul? See, in James, what we've already read is that James has instructed us that we must be mind managers. Double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He's dealing with how do I deal with my mind. Then he begins to talk about how we talk to one another. And he, so he goes off of being a mind manager and says, you've got to be a mouth manager. But now he comes along and he wraps it all up and he says, not only should you control your mind and not only must you manage your mouth, you must also manage your money so that your money does not become your God. We misquote Paul and we say the, that the love of money is the root of all evil, but that's a misquote. The, the, the actual phraseology and words is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. I read to you out of Jim that, that he said that selfish ambition and jealousy are a avenue or a doorway. When you find selfish ambition or jealousy in a church, it opens up the door to all kinds of evil for that body. You remember we talked about that. But now he comes along and he says there's a corporate application, which is jealousy and ambition, but now there is personal application. And if you get your mind all wrapped up on possessions and things, then that becomes a doorway to all kinds of evil into your life. So Jim teaches us that just because you have the most toys doesn't mean you win. It's what's got control of you that determines whether you win. 
Jim chapter 5 verse 7 says, Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer awaits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is in the autumn and sp- for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. The Message Bible says it in one phrase. It says the master could arrive at any time. So what Jim is teaching us is this. According to Jim, we should keep one eye peeled. What does that mean, Steve? It means that we have forgotten that Jesus could come back right now. That is a forgotten truth. You don't hear that talked about much anymore in the body of Christ or in daily life. We don't think about the fact that Jesus could come back. There is no expectancy anymore of being caught away in the clouds. And since there's no expectancy anymore, then what it causes us to do is it causes us to rupture relationship. This summer, Julie and I had the privilege of going back to North Carolina to preach a camp. And then we went on to Washington, D.C. And... um, well, I'm going to show my age, but one of the favorite groups I had as a teenager back in the 80s, there was this Christian rock group called DeGarmo and Key. Now, DeGarmo, y'all don't know who they are. Let me just tell you, they were awesome. They, they had mullets and 80s-style clothes, and me and my friends would get their albums and then go try to shop, find clothes like theirs. We grew the mullets. We did the whole works. Uh, you know, we did it all. I got proof, got picture proof. We thought they were the coolest. Well, about a month and a half ago, Dana Key, passed away he was the lead guitarist and vocalist it's kind of a sudden thing Um, and so while we were on this trip I felt like it was my God-given responsibility as a godly dad to allow my children to taste the sweet nectar of my music and so I would went dug out my DeGarmon key CDs and played them for hours on end over and over and over. Julie loved it every minute of it. She just loved it. And so I just kept playing it and playing it. And while I was listening to it on the trip, I recognized and realized something. Throughout the course of those CDs, over and over again as they were singing, they were preaching about Jesus' return. They sang songs like this. I know y'all have never heard these, and I'm not about to try to sing them to you. They sang songs like, When He Comes Back. They sang a song called, Ready or Not. They sang a song called, Are You Ready? They sang this song called, Alleluia, Christ is Coming. And it caused me to stop and think about all the songs that I'd sung in church all the early years of my life. And even though I know that some of the songs are escapist, we can go back in our memory and we can think about in our churches. We used to sing songs like, I'll Fly Away. The king is coming. We shall see the king. I can still remember as a teenager when the song leader would stand up and say, turn to page 169. That was a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. That was the song we would sing. But I went back and I read the words and I was like, what is it about? And he goes on and these are the words. It's wave the banner. Shout his praises for our victory is nigh. We shall join our conquering Savior. We shall reign with him on high. And I realized that most of the songs that we sung when I was younger, even out there the songs like Christian rock and roll, were mostly about the return of Christ. And then I started to think about what we sing now. And nobody sings about his return anymore. And because we no longer think about the return of Christ, we have lost sight of that hope and we live with our heads down and our eyes down and our hope down. 
And if we could get back and understand that we must keep one eye peeled to his coming and understand that at any moment, at any second, during this moment, that he could split the eastern sky and come back and take us home, at that moment our heads would come up and we would once again live with hope and we would once again live with peace. But we don't live like that anymore. I, I begin to think about the impact. See, I've been told that you're not supposed to preach about the second coming to a young generation because this generation doesn't want to talk about Jesus coming back. They just want to talk about, well, you help me in my life right now. I got news for you. The second coming of Christ will impact your life right now. If you would believe, if any of us would truly believe that Jesus could come back any moment, can I just inform you that that would change the way we live? You wouldn't stress out over what you're stressing out over right now because it really doesn't matter. You wouldn't be freaked out over what you're freaking out over right now because he's coming back. You wouldn't be hurt like you're hurt right now because you'd realize that there's a new day coming. You wouldn't be going through the the pain. Oh, there's no hope. There's no answer. There's no way out. You would understand that Jesus is coming back. And that would change your perspective. We've got to allow that truth to sink back. And understand that we can't get mired down. And not only that, we can't live unprepared. Because that's the other implication. If you really thought Jesus was coming back, you would prepare. They were prepared. Older folks are prepared. They talked about it all the time. They would prepare for his coming. Oh, y'all ain't listening to me. I understand. We live so undisciplined in our lives. And if we really believed Jesus was coming back, we would be more disciplined than we are now. I just cussed in church. I said discipline. Did y'all hear that? That's a cuss word anymore. Discipline. We would read more than we read. We would pray more than we pray. There would be an urgency in our spirit about witnessing to people. We wouldn't have to twist anybody's arm to go witness on a Wednesday night. You would be witnessing every day at work, in your neighborhood, in your school, in your home, because you recognize Jesus could come back, and if I don't share that truth, they're going to die, and they're going to go to hell, and I can't stand that. I got news for you. After not having air conditioning all week in my house, I don't want to go to hell. It was hot. And if that's what hell's like all the time, I don't want that. And I don't want anybody else to experience that either. Because he's coming back, Jim teaches us that we must be ready. And so I declare to you today, boldly, I declare with Jim that Jesus is coming back. People, get ready. Live your lives differently. Paul echoes this theme in Thessalonians. He teaches us. He makes this statement in a little passage of Scripture. It's in 1 Thessalonians. You can go read it for yourself later. In chapter 5, verses 6, 8, and 11, in this little period of scripture he, he addresses this he says therefore let us not sleep as others do but let us watch and be sober keep an eye to the sky while you're driving down northwest expressway going to get yourself some sweet little chicken sandwich recognize that at any given moment christ could come back be ready but then he teaches us the implication he says putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. So in saying, because we're watching, we get equipped and we prepare and we discipline ourselves to live correctly. Then he goes on and he says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another. So therefore, if I believe that Christ could come back at any moment, I have to live disciplined and I treat my brothers and sisters differently. That's why the second coming has implications for you today. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, precisely because we cannot predict the moment, we must be ready at all moments. 
The call is for diligence. The call is for readiness that should shake us out of our apathy because we know Christ could come back. Interesting tidbit I discovered. In the New Testament, in the first century church, when people would encounter one another in Walmart or whatever they went to, they didn't have Walmart, but they'd go into Walmart and they'd see a fellow believer, they would walk up to them, and I hope I can say this right, they would say the same word differently. They, when, when I would see you in Walmart, and I know you're a believer because I saw you at church, they would walk up to you and they would say, Marathana, which means the Lord has come. And then after they would talk about whatever they would talk about and they would get ready to walk away from one another, they would make it this way, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming. And now when we see one another, we say, what's up? How's the weather? How's your job going? We do our business, and then as we begin to walk out of the room, some of you will do it today. You'll walk out the door and say, take it easy. Don't work too hard. Why have we forgotten that it was so important to remind one another that Christ is, has come and he is coming? And if he was coming, if his coming was, was so close, so imminent when I was one year old, and now that I'm 42, that ought to teach us that if he was close to coming on that day I was born, then he must be even more close to coming now. We should live urgently and ready and disciplined. And Jim says, keep an eye peeled. Then he goes on in chapter 5, verse 10, and he says, Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, like take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we considered blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And then he makes this statement, Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no be no or you will be condemned. Listen to it in the Message Bible. Just say yes or no. Just say what is true. That way, your language can't be used against you. According to Jim, we can make God look bad. What are you saying? I'm saying that Jim is instructing us to keep our word. Jim is saying to us that it is absolutely essential that as believers who claim the name of Christ on ourselves, when we've come into relationship with Christ, that we must be people whose word is our bond. If we're going to say, yes, I will, yes, I will do that, yes, I will take you, yes, I will, then we are obligated to keep our word and at the moment we break our word we make God look bad because when they look at us they're looking at God oh y'all ain't hearing me let me let me let me, let me tell you what I, what I think I, I think when we say yes we ought to follow through when you say yes I'll do that report <laughs> y'all didn't know I was gonna mess with y'all this morning when, when you say yes I'll do my best in this class then you got to do it when we say, yes, I'll be the best employee at my job, then you better be the one to do it. When we say, I will, standing at an altar, or I do, then we better be people of our word, or we make God look bad. Let me say it to you like God said it to me, and then I'll move on. If they can't believe our word, they won't believe his word because we represent him.
Then he goes on in James chapter 5, verse 13. He says, is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's another version that says whole there. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Two lessons, and then I'm done. According to Jim, our lack of confession keeps us sick. See, we view healing and sickness as only a physical thing. And I got good news for you this morning just to remind you that God is still in the healing business. James is emphatic that God still heals even today. God still heals. But what you've got to understand is that James is not just after physical healing, that James connected. He is absolutely clear that there is a connection between our physical life and our spiritual life. And what he's after is not just physical healness, uh, healing. He is after physical and spiritual wholeness. And there is a correlation between our physical health and our spiritual health. Now, the tough truth of the matter is this, that he's teaching us, is this, that when we, when we do not confess our faults or our sins to one another, we stay sick. There's a couple ways to live. You can, you can be physically sick and spiritually healthy, and I want to tell you, you'll be miserable. I don't care how close to Jesus you are. If you're sick in your physical body, you ain't going to be a happy camper. There's another way to live. You can live physically whole and be spiritually sick, and you're still going to be miserable. And what Jim says is that the perfect combination is to be physically whole or healed and to be spiritually whole at the same time. That's the complete package. You know how you get there? We don't like the remedy. We don't like the prescription. Confession. Confession ties the two together. He, in the Message Bible, it says it like this. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. And yet what we've done is it is uncommon practice for us to admit any failure to anybody. We don't confess anything. We have gone as children of the king from being great confessors to professional concealers. We hide everything and we do that to our own demise and to our own sickness. And Jim says, lack of confession causes sickness. Then he goes on and teaches the last truth. He says, according to Jim, the effectiveness of our prayers reveals our righteousness. Okay, this is a new thought. Never thought of it this way. I've heard umpteen hundreds of messages on James chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous man. Okay, I've heard all that. Okay, good. There's some good lessons there. And the Holy Spirit said to me, read it again. Listen to what he says. 
the prayers, uh, we, we, we like to skip that part. We, we want to pray the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. The prayers of a righteous man are effective. Period. So let me walk you through my warped way of logic. If it says that the prayers of a righteous man are effective, and when I pray, my prayers are not effective, there's something missing in the equation. Righteousness. Our lack of righteousness impacts our prayers. Otherwise, if we didn't, if that wasn't a key ingredient, I wished it would have read like this. I so wish Jim would have written it like this. The prayers of a man are effective. I like that one because then we would all match that. We would all meet up to those stipulations and everything we would pray would be effective. But he adds that one key ingredient and he says the prayers of a righteous man are effective. And so if our prayers are not effective, then we have to question our righteousness quota. Let me ask you something this morning. Are your prayers effective? David understood this. David said it like this in Psalm chapter 34, verse 15. He says, his eyes are above the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. I've still got a warped sense of logic says his ears are open to those that are righteous. Does that mean they're not open to the unrighteous? I've made a statement one time from this pulpit, and somebody left our church over it. I said, God is not obligated to hear the prayer of sinners. The only obligation God has with sinners is to hear the prayer of salvation. Anything above and beyond that is mercy. Because he says his ears are open to the righteous. He goes on in Psalm chapter 66, verse 18, and he says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, I don't like this. If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. John comes along in 1 John chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, and listen to this. He says, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask. How many of you would like to go to prayer and get anything you ask for? Anybody else in the room other than me? Okay. He says we can have confidence before and get anything from God that we ask. But then he jacks with us because he comes along and he says right behind, he says, here's why. Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. Righteousness. I wonder how many of us are not very effective in our prayer life because there's no righteousness there. Are your prayers affecting any change? Are your prayers impacting your situation? Could it be that there is a lack of righteousness in your life and that is impacting the effectiveness of your prayers? Because I want to tell you something. I've seen unrighteous people who know how to pray. They're far from God, and yet they know how to pray. They pray fervent prayers. I mean, they go nuts. They'll pray believers under the rug. I mean, they know how to pray. They pray faith-filled prayers because they know they got to have faith, and I believe, God, you can do it. But there's no effectiveness in their prayer because of no righteousness. I can prove it to you out of Scripture. The prophets of Baal knew how to pray. They were fervent. They made Pentecostals look like wimps. 
They prayed for hours. They cut themselves. They spun. They shouted. They slobbered. They did all the things that we think we got the corner of the market on. They knew how to do it all. And they prayed faith-filled prayers. They honestly believed that that fake God could answer their prayers. And then I'm reminded in the New Testament that somebody came up to Jesus and said, you can do this. Help my unbelief. So if the effectiveness of the prayer is not based on the prayer, but on the prayer. Y'all didn't get that. I'm going to say that again. We think the answer to our prayer is based on the prayer, how we pray. I'll pray fervently. I'll pray faith-filled. No, no. Hear me this morning. Jim is very clear. The effectiveness of our prayer is based on the righteousness of the prayer. So hear me this morning. If you've been praying for something and no answer, maybe we ought to go back and check the righteousness quota of our lives and get our lives right. Jim, don't play. He hits us right where we live. And he's calling us to live a righteous, holy, you don't hear that word much either, Holy, it's not a cuss word, holy, set apart, lifestyle. What that means for you guys in college, it means everybody else in the dorms can go be on drug binge all they want to, but if you want a prayer, effective prayer, you've got to be righteous. I don't do that. While everybody else is carousing and running the streets and sleeping around, I'm sorry, but I like to pray effective prayers. And my righteousness is revealed in the effectiveness of my prayer life. Jim has taught us a lot of lessons. Today's lessons are these. Live up to your word. Don't get up caught up in possessions. Confess your sins. Keep one eye peeled. And check your righteousness. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And thank you that your word is sharp and quick and cuts us asunder. It goes right into the innermost being of our lives and it reveals who we really are. I pray for every person sitting here today. I pray that in the name of Jesus we would allow our focus and our attention to be where it needs to be on you. You are our God. Our house is not our God. Our cars are not our God. Our clothes are not our God. Possessions are not our God. You are our God. And we want to be faithful to you. Father, I pray that we would learn to live with one eye peeled. I pray that our eyes would once again get on you. I pray that we would not be so mired down in day-to-day life that we forget the truth of this fact. You came once, but you are coming again. And it could happen now. I can still remember, Lord, praying to you as a teenager, saying, God, please don't come until I get married. And then I remember asking you once I got married, please, God, don't come until I have children. But, Father, I pr- my sincere prayer today, because it would change the way I live and it would change the way I treat others around me, my prayer must become even so. Hmm. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly because then I will prepare 
I will equip. I'll fight. I'll do my job. And I will love those around me more deeply because I know you're coming soon. Help me keep my word. Help every individual in here to be a person of their word because if they lie, it looks bad on you. God, I pray you would check our prayer life because our prayer life exposes an abundance of righteousness or the lack thereof. Reveal to us who we really are. I want you to stand with me this morning before we leave. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I challenge you this morning as you're going through life over the next few months, keep your attention on what matters. It's not things, it's God. I challenge you this morning to keep your word. If you say, I will, do it. If you say, I do, be faithful. If you say, no, don't go back on your word. You'll make God look bad. I challenge you to examine the righteousness quota of your life. How much righteousness is in me? Oh, I know the Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags, but I also understand that he calls us to live holy. He says, live holy for I am holy. So I challenge you this morning to check the holiness of your life because it impacts your prayer life. But this is how I want to close this morning. I want to remind you that Jesus is coming back. It could be today. And if you're standing in this room today and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, you've never asked Him to come into your heart or maybe you've strayed from Him, i got news for you. You need to be prepared. He could come today. I've got news for you. You've got to be diligently prepared. And so if you are here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior or if you've walked away from Him and you want to restore that relationship so that you can live in a state of expectancy waiting on Him, if that's you, would you just quickly raise your hand and pull it back down? I promise there's one. Anybody else would be brave enough to say, I am not ready for the coming of Christ. And I want to be ready. Anybody else? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we surrender our lives to you today. We ask you to be the King, the Lord, the Savior of our life. We want to be prepared for your coming. We know that you've already come once. We're sure of that. And we also are very sure this morning that you are going to come back again and we want to be ready. I pray right now that I, I surrender my life to you. I ask you to come into my heart and become my Lord and my King and my Savior. And I declare that I will do my very best to live righteously before you so that my prayers will be effective. And Father, I'll give you the glory and the honor. And I thank you for allowing me to live in your kingdom. And now I look forward to your quick return. But until that day, I will treat those around me differently and I will be diligent in my preparation. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to do this a little differently this morning. I'm getting ready to dismiss you, but I want you to do this because I know the tendency is you're going to want to go hang out and you're going to want to go, hey, take It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.